Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to part two of Outside the Actor's Studio with Viola Davis. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you've missed part one. Go back and listen to that now. Otherwise, welcome. The show's about to resume. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide who escaped from reality? Okay, so next up is Suicide Squad, released in 2016 and directed by David Iyer. U.S. intelligence officer Amanda Waller, Viola Davis, decides to assemble a team of dangerous supervillains for a top-secret mission. Dubbed Task Force X, the criminals unite to battle a mysterious and powerful entity while the diabolical Joker launches an evil agenda of his own. It's taken some work, but I finally have them. The worst of the worst. There's rumors, Amanda, that uh, some of them have abilities. Well, the rumors are right. You know what the problem with the metahuman is? The human part. We got lucky with Superman who shared our values. The next Superman might not. You're playing with fire, Amanda. I'm fighting fire with fire. Ooh! <laughs> well, neither of us had ever seen this. And I, for some crazy reason thought it was supposed to be good and you said to me like oh oh no no it's supposed to be really bad and then i watched it and thought oh it's bad it's actually i think that i remember when it came out that people tore it to shreds it really became notorious for being so so bad i actually think it didn't get enough hate the fact that you somehow managed to not even know it was terrible I think it deserved more on top of what it got. Yeah, and why did it get a sequel? I haven't seen it because I know that James Gunn did the other one, who did Guardians. So I think that the other one is good. I don't know if like they just erased this and redid it because that's called The Suicide Squad. So I don't even know if it's a sequel or if it's just 
let's remake the movie and hope everyone forgets that the other one exists or i i don't know because i haven't seen it according to wikipedia it is a sequel okay how bad does something have to be that it takes viola davis will smith and margot robbie three incredibly (laughs) accomplished and talented actors and makes them all so so bad the dialogue was written by a four-year-old (laughs) <laughs> this the, har, all of Harley Quinn's lines are just t-shirt sayings that are someone walked down the street and saw people's t-shirts and saw it that's good dialogue let's let's put that in the script as her lines she only talks in catchphrases she doesn't have any real lines Jared Leto was embarrassing every scene that he was in I was like get away <laughs> that's that's Jared Leto in everything yes but this everything he's in is embarrassing (laughs) and every scene i'm like get away (laughs) he was in 10 minutes maybe collectively and it was too many i think we need to move on i don't even know we can't i don't even know how to talk about it i will say of all of the performances hers was the most serviceable her character wasn't completely insufferable and annoying and actually had a goal with a plan and you know trying to accomplish something the villain lord knows what she was doing cara delavine does anyone know because i sure as hell don't i watched the whole thing and i can't tell you what it's even about if anyone was going to save it it would have been viola yeah but unfortunately it was and some of her scenes were okay when she presented the plan i i thought okay yeah appreciated the she was at least it in was charge, long, leader of but the I was like, but yes, moving right along. Believe it or not, came out the same year. Fences. <laughs> it also came out in 2016 and was directed by Denzel Washington. Troy Maxson, Denzel, makes a living as a sanitation worker in 1950s Pittsburgh. He once dreamed of becoming a professional baseball player, but was deemed too old when the major leagues began admitting black athletes. Bitter over his missed opportunity, he creates further tension in his family when he squashes his son's chance to meet a college football recruiter. That is Why don't you plot. leave everything out and not even mention Viola Davis? That who is won an Oscar for that. This. Is not the plot of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> these people are insane. Who is writing these Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> descriptions? It's not easy for me to admit that I've been standing in the same place for eighteen years. Well, I've been standing with you. I've been right here with you, Troy. I got a life too. I gave 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. Don't you think I ever wanted other things? Don't you think I had dreams and hopes? What about my life? What about me? We knew that this was adapted from a play. But even if we hadn't known that, it was apparent within the first five minutes. So we talked about this just a tiny bit because... We basically asked each other, how is it that you can tell? And then we decided that you were going to look that up. I had a theory, but you looked up the real reasoning. Yeah. So what I will say is that there, I could not find a cut and dry reason, but I did learn about the difference between a script for a movie and the script for a play. And it seems like that's where the answer kind of lies. So the the core difference is that plays rely on dialogue and scripts for movies rely on both dialogue and visuals. And that is kind of the dead giveaway, in my opinion. They are saying everything they're doing. All of the history, anything you need to know, they have to say it. 
because the assumption is that you're seeing this in a playhouse, maybe all the way in the back, and you can't really see them. You're kind of you're seeing them move around. You see them in the scene, but you can't get any expressions from their faces. You can't get any emotion other than what they're literally saying and the way that they're saying it. That is the main reason. Also, the sets, the way that it's made, there has to be a constraint of there can't be too many sets. We can't see that much going on besides the main locations that the story is taking place in. Because if it was a practical play, they would have to build all those sets and do all those transitions. So that has to be kept in mind. And if they keep that integrity in the movie, we don't see that many places. And it's a lot of long scenes with a couple of people. There's not a lot of characters a lot of times. So though I think those are just such cut and dry standards for what a play is usually is that they're easy to pick up on as cues when we see them in a movie. That makes a lot of sense. My second note was the amount of dialogue is wild. It's really crazy. Plus, they also follow a very rigid structure. Like you could tell when scenes begin and end because, again, there's mm. always transitions. So they will all say their piece. The The characters will say what they all need to say. And then it, it seemingly the scene will end. Somebody will leave or enter and that will kind of trigger the next scene. And you can always feel that happening even in a movie. It was interesting. I knew it had to be the dialogue that that was the the giveaway because that was always what was so obvious just the way they were saying the lines once i read that explanation because i read that like maybe i was 15 minutes in there were maybe two scenes where i thought that it completely broke the play structure and they were some of my favorite when she comes in to tell him that his mistress has died having his baby was completely almost independent of the rest of it. They didn't follow the normal how a play would do it because so much was going on in silence, on their faces, the way it looked, and none of that could have been translated to a stage. I think that if you, as much dialogue as there is in this, if you took out every single piece where Viola had any dialogue and just left in her facial expressions and her body language... She should have won an Oscar just for that. <laughs> Did Denzel also win an Oscar for this? He was nominated, but he lost to Casey Affleck for Manchester by the Sea. Oof, that's in need of a do-over. <laughs> he was uh, also nominated that year was Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge, Ryan Gosling for La La Land, and Viggo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic, which is a movie I've never even heard of. I discovered as I was watching this that both Viola and Denzel won Tonys for the 2010 revival, which I thought was very cool. Mm -hmm. And when they decided to make the movie, there were quite a few people who were in the revival that were then in the film. Really? My mom and grandma saw that. No way. But when I mentioned it to my mom, she didn't say that Viola was in it. So I don't know if it was just the night they went, she wasn't there, or if she had left the production early or something, because they saw Denzel, but she wasn't in it. If I'm remembering correctly, what I read was that it was in London. So maybe they... Oh, so maybe, maybe they there adapted were it. Oh, okay. So they maybe they adapted it again for... Broadway and Denzel made the transfer, but not Viola. Okay, that makes sense. Another person who was in the 2010 play and then in the film 
was Michael T. Williamson, okay. who plays Gabe, oh, Denzel's okay. brother. Did you recognize him? That he was Baba from Forrest Gump? Yep. Every single time he was on the screen, I wanted to burst into tears. He was so good. Me I, too. The fact that he was not nominated for an Oscar for supporting for that role is <laughs> unacceptable. <laughs> he was so good. What I was so struck by is his ability to communicate such a warmth. Every scene he's in is tense because of the of what's going on with the other characters in addition to their relationship to him but he is such like a light and warm when he enters the scene it was absolutely incredible there for his first scene he's in when they're on the street with him i just instantly fell in love with him i just realized that viola won for best supporting actress I've really got to look up the difference between, I don't think I really even understand or know what determines whether or not someone is nominated for supporting versus lead. She is so clearly the lead actress, but there must be some kind of rule or something. I don't know what it is because it's not timing because I've, because, because Anthony Hopkins won for best actor for Silence of the Lambs and he's in the movie far less than she's in this. So it's not the time on screen. It must be some other aspect to the story or something. When actors sign on to do a movie, mm -hmm. their titles are established in that way, right? Yes. So it must have something to do with that. Yeah, that or what they submit them for. I don't know. It just doesn't, I got to look more into it. I got to understand the difference because it, it that seems crazy to me. I, I didn't realize that she won for Best Supporting Actress. I thought it was for lead. Something I thought was very funny and really took me out of it was when Troy first sits down on the steps with his new baby. Mm hmm and it's CGI. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the literal same thing. The thing is, in that scene, you only see the smallest, smallest amount Who's of basically the baby's forehead and nose. Thank you. You're do it's the least amount of movement or work right. with a baby ever. To be honest, he probably could have ho been holding something in a blanket that we never even saw the baby yes. at all. Like yes. we didn't <laughs> Why would you waste the money and take the visual spectacle at all away to to CGI a fake baby? It is really beyond me. The line that hit me the hardest that if I was standing up would have knocked me on my fucking feet. Was when when Viola says, "Right now, this child's got a mother," and then she starts walking up the stairs, and over her shoulder says, "But you, a womanless man." I was like, "It was so good. She's so good." Obviously, there's a ton of monologues from Troy. If I was like analyzing this in a film class or a playwriting class, the one that really communicated everything I needed to know about him, the conversation he has with his son about whether or not he likes him. How come you ain't never liked me? Like you? Who the hell said I got to like you? He says to him, I ain't got to like you. Mr. Rand don't give me my money, come pay day cause he like me, he give it to me cause he owe me. Now don't you go through life worrying about whether somebody like you or not. You best be making sure they're doing right by you. And I think that that understanding and belief is so pivotal and core to who Troy is. He's moving through the world in a way of you owe me this, 
you're doing this for me. And that's how he sees people. And does he believe that he's owed a certain level of respect and all those things because he's earned it? Like, where does that belief come from? I don't know. Because he, I think he just feels like he's been screwed. And so now he's living his life, making sure that that doesn't happen again. And so he's not really concerned with what people think about him. He just needs to make sure that their actions and their opinion of him is, I'm making sure that I'm always doing right by him. Just like his first son, where every interaction they have is about him asking for money, owing him money. It's always about that because that's what Troy's focus is on. He doesn't care what his son really thinks of him. He just makes wants to make sure that they're on the level playing field, that that he's got that father role and that he's in control of him. Do you think it's because he feels like life has been so unfair to him that it's his responsibility to make things fair for him. Yes. I think he always wants to feel like he's the one holding the cards because he feels like Mm. the cards were taken from him. It's really sad because you can see so many ways that it made his life worse for his relationship with his wife, who was incredibly loyal and loving and a great wife. And when she finds out that he got someone else pregnant her monologue was incredible Uh, and you really understand how down she was for him yeah his relationship with both of his sons with his best friend all of those were negatively even his brother yeah were negatively affected because of that core belief yeah if he had let that go, he would have gotten more respect. Yes. People wouldn't have been scared or manipulated into respecting him. They actually would have. He would have had better relationships. He would have been happier. Yeah. It's sad. All he did was focus on what he didn't get instead of what he had. Yeah. He didn't even re he I don't think he realized until she said it to him her perspective on life at all. When she tells him, like, don't you think I ever wanted other things? Don't you think I had dreams and hopes? What about my life? What about me? Don't you think I ever crossed my mind and want to know other men that I wanted to lay up somewhere and forget about my responsibilities? That I wanted someone to make me laugh so I could feel good? You're not the only one who's got wants and needs, but I held on to your toy. I took all my feelings, my wants and needs and dreams. And I buried them inside you. I planted a seed and watched and prayed over. I planted myself inside you and waited to bloom. It didn't take me no 18 years to realize the soil was hard and rocky and it wasn't never going to bloom. But I held on to you, Troy. I held you tighter. You was my husband. I owed you everything I had, every part of me I could find to give you. That wasn't on his radar at all. He was only focused on... What is it that's going on in my life and how can I make my life better instead of thinking about one other person that was in his life at all? And when he describes why he ended up having that affair and saying, like, I'm not going to stop pretty much. She gave me a different idea, a different understanding about myself. I can step out this house and get away from the pressures and the problems, be a different man. I ain't got to worry about how I'm going to get the roof fixed or pay the bills or I can just be a part of myself I ain't never been before. What I want to know is, what I want to know is, do you plan to continue seeing her? That's all you can say to me. I can sit up in the house and laugh. You understand what I'm saying? 
I can laugh out loud and it feels good. It reaches all the way down to the bottom of my shoes, Rose. I, I can't give that up. All the things that he wanted, that he was looking for, and that he found in that relationship, he could have had in his life with his wife and his sons and his friends. Yeah. All of those qualities that he was looking for and found there, he could have had if he had just dug into his own life. And even the decisions that he made after in the scene when she comes in and tells him about the baby and his mistress, she even still, when he's upset, all she wants him to do is just say how he's feeling or talk to her. She says like, I'm your wife. Don't push me away. I ain't pushing nobody away. Just give me some space. He, She's literally talking about him with his girlfriend and baby with her. And she, all she wants to do is just be still included in his life. It was also a really interesting through line of his fascination or fixation with death. And now he feels like he escaped it and, and it was always coming for him. When he screams out the window... You ain't gonna sneak up on me no more. <laughs> when you ready for me, when the top of your list say Troy Maxson, then you come on up and knock on the front door. Ain't nobody else got nothing to do with this. This between you and me. Man to man! You stay on the other side of that fence till you're ready for me. Then you come up and knock on that front door anytime you want. That was what I was going to say was one of my favorite things, which I'd be curious to know how they showed this in the stage production. Their manifestation of like death looming was incredible. The way the light would hit the building sometimes when he was talking about it or was screaming to it. It was like he was having a conversation with death. And that the entire time his brother is talking about St. Peter and heaven mm -hmm. and how that tied into his brother's understanding of dying. And then at the end, please, I really was not expecting that at all. When he finally hit the note on his trumpet, I couldn't. The thing that got me was when his son sits on the porch with Raynell and they sing. They sing the song that he always sang. Here ring, here ring. And my dog is named Blue. Blue, but true. No blue is a good old dog. Blue tree to possum in the hollow log. Let you know Blue's a good old dog. Here it ring, here it ring. Now, 
It was gone where the good dogs go. It was gone where the good dogs go. It was gone where the good dogs go. I have a thing, man. When children sing in movies, I can't. It it unlocks something in me. It reminded me of. Have you ever seen the movie Wild? Yes, but not enough. To I remember. don't remember it enough. So, so there's a scene in Wild where she comes across on the trail like this little boy who's hiking hiking with his grandma, and the interaction they have is he sings her a song. I can't remember a time that I've cried harder at a movie, and. I instantly thought of it when I saw this. Something about when children sing, it's so pure and beautiful. And her encouragement of him in that scene where she just is, she, cause she's not really understanding what even they're singing about and what that moment is meaning to him. So for her to just be encouraging him to just keep singing and when he stops and she just keeps going and then in her mind, she's almost like, does he forget the words? Like what's going on? She doesn't really get what's happening. And she powers him through that scene to just was so incredibly beautiful. He goes on an entire (laughs) a life's worth of a journey just through singing that song. And you're so right about her that she doesn't totally grasp what's going on. But at the same time, it's like the wisdom of kids that there's some innate thing that she knows how important it is. Yeah. It was amazing. It really really was. (laughs) The whole thing really was. (laughs) The more we talk about it and the more I think about it, the more I realize it. Okay. So next up we have Widows released in 2018 and directed by Steve McQueen. A police shootout leaves four thieves dead during an explosive armed robbery attempt in Chicago. Their widows have nothing in common except a debt left by their spouse's criminal activities. Hoping to forge a future on their own terms, Veronica Viola Davis joins forces with the other three women. Not exactly, but okay. <laughs> pull off a heist that her husband was planning. We got to start thinking like professionals. We're in business together. There's not going to be some cozy reunion. After this job, we're done. We have three days to look and move like a team of men. The best thing we have going for us is being who we are. Why? Because no one thinks we have the balls to pull this off. I only have one note. What was your note? Liam Neeson is a disgusting, repulsive kisser. (laughs) That opening scene, you guys, if you haven't seen this movie, even if you're not going to watch it, if you need some trauma in your day, watch the opening scene. He, if Viola let him, he would have swallowed her entire head. What was going on? I don't know. Have we never seen him kiss somebody before? I don't. I never thought about it until now. I don't think we have. I can't think of him kissing anybody. Viola has been through enough in her life. <laughs> she did not need the additional trauma. I'm telling you, man. She, There's no way she didn't have nightmares over that. <laughs> I did think all of their flashback scenes were very weird. I was not into the the chemistry of their dynamic at all. I was like, thank God he's not actually in the movie, really to be in these scenes more had you heard of this because i hadn't and i can't believe that i hadn't uh yeah i remember when it came out i don't at all and it was so good looks like you disagree you didn't like it huh i i disagree yeah really it was i think rated very well 
I think a lot of people thought it was really good. It didn't come together for me. I kind of thought it was boring. Well, that was what I was just going to say. It needed to be a little shorter. The the getting to it was too slow. There were a lot of independent scenes that I really enjoyed, but strung together, there was some meandering that needed to be cut down on. I thought the things that needed to be really clear were not. Mm. The ending didn't really surprise me or anything. Mm -hmm. When they shot What's-His-Name's father, Uh I was like, oh, they shot him. Like I, I just didn't, I wasn't invested. I didn't care. I see what you mean. Did you know the, that there was like a twist? Because I was completely caught off guard to find out that Liam Neeson was still alive. But we knew because we saw him in well, what's no, his yeah, house. Yeah, but when oh, that happened, when, when, when we... I, did I know? No. Did I care? <laughs> nope. Really? I they She opened the door and I was like, oh shit, he's still alive interesting i don't know i just like (laughs) i was unaffected that's surprising to me me too we we as we recently uh, we love a crime drama yeah (laughs) especially if it's a heist related drama i don't think it's an incorrect opinion to have i just was on board for what it was giving me i guess i also wanted it to be cooler like in the yeah. town, when they're robbing those banks, mm-hmm. it's fucking cool and the adrenaline is pumping. I do. And I didn't yeah. feel that. When they break into the house at first and they're wearing those masks and you hear that they have those voice modulators, yes. I was like, oh, shit, like, <laughs> we're in it now. Yeah. And then they get into the safe or whatever. And mm-hmm. when they're loading the bags up with money, mm-hmm. it felt frantic. Understandably, they mm-hmm. were frantic. I was just going to say, because purposely, right? Yes, the- but... In these types of movies, at some point, you have a group of women mm-hmm. who have pulled this shit off. Like, let them be cool. Yeah, that's so true. It's almost like they lean towards, like, realism more than cool movie magic, which normally a movie would have just made them had, like, a, we got to get it together, and then they pulled it off flawlessly, which did not happen. And And I do see what you're saying. I did think it was kind of cool when they come out of the house and they load up the van and then Jatem is in the passenger seat and steals the van from them. Yeah. And then they rear end him and (laughs) steal the money back. Uh Uh-huh. But I thought the extended close-up of his bloody dead face was like totally unnecessary. I've said this before. If the violence makes sense, like violence it up. <laughs> I don't need like we already know he's dead. Yeah, I don't yeah. need a close up of of Daniel's face looking like that. It was too unnecessary. But I don't want to just trash it. If you, no. I know, you- no, I don't listen. I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I had a totally different perception of what it was going to be about. I thought it was going to be a sad one. Just from the title, I think it has a really bad title. I will say that. I understand why it's called that, but I think it has a terrible title. There's nothing to get me hyped up and excited for what the movie is about with the title of Widows. <laughs> so, so I was going into it thinking, oh, this is going to be a slog. And then when I saw what it was about, I was just game for it. So then even though what you're saying is right and there were some definite missteps, I just thought the scenes that were cool. I love when she calls them, when she's like mean to them and giving them their jobs and they are trying to figure it out and they talk back to her and then she tells them like, you know, what's what and that you just got to get it done. And then I love the the one girl stepping up and 
doing her little ruse to buy the guns and figuring out the plans thing. I just enjoyed all of that. So I was just for it. Plus, I thought Viola Davis looked fucking amazing in her um cool as hell outfits with her little cute white dog that she would bring everywhere and and put down and walk and like she just was such a badass that i was into it i definitely agree with that <laughs> <laughs> that dog was a pivotal that dog he was crucial to plot development and everything i mean that was the acting job of his life and he committed <laughs> All right, so next up we have Troop Zero, which came out in 2019 and was directed by Bert and Bernie. Bert and Bertie. Ew, what? That's what it says. Listen, I no. didn't name I didn't name them. I didn't give them their duo name. It's Bert and Bertie. Why? With when you're directing a movie, you don't need a duo name. Like you don't just use your names. <laughs> you're not a musical group. You're a you're directing a movie. Just use your name. Unless it's like the Cohen brothers or the right. something sisters or right. and then it's still their name at least. Bert and Birdie? <laughs> okay. In rural nineteen seventy-seven Georgia, a misfit girl dreams of life in outer space. When a competition offers her a chance to be recorded on NASA's golden record, she recruits a makeshift troop of Birdie Scouts forging friendships that last a lifetime. You are not alone. Yeah. And you don't need that record. Yeah, I do. No, you don't. Who's smarter, me or you? You. All right, now. When you speak, it creates a sound wave, and then it vibrates through the air, and it keeps traveling out. That means if someone's listening for life on this earth, they're going to hear you. What did you think of this? Visually, I thought it was absolutely stunningly gorgeous. Sick. I thought the script left something to be desired, but I think it's the first film that Lucy Alibar wrote, and it was adapted from, I think, a short play or something, or not a short play, from a play. Mm -hmm. It just didn't get there. It felt like all the elements were there, but yes. somehow they didn't come together. They missed the mark, but at its core, I liked it. If you described it, I was totally into it. Yeah. I thought the concept of this little girl believing that her mother was like a part of the universe and just wanted so desperately to be like seen by it. So beautiful. And so yeah. many aspects were so funny and good. But it was just like what actually happened wasn't good at telling that core story yeah too much was kind of going on they didn't really give me any kind of character development for most of the characters there was no reason for me to be invested in these characters and i was upset about it because i wanted to be i also thought and i'm sorry but i thought the wigs were so bad that they were distracting yes and my final thought is that jim gaffigan all i could think about is it should have been Philip Seymour Hoffman and that he's gone. And so it went to Jim Gaffigan and I, I made that story up like that. <laughs> that's not, who knows if Philip would yeah. have even done it. That's all I could think about for half every time he was on screen. That's what I was thinking. Aww. He's like the poor man's Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm sorry, Jim Gaffigan. I think he's funny. Sweet man. But yes. The only scene that worked for me was the very ending when they were out all out there screaming up at the sky saying that they were here. I am here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. 
here too. And it actually redeemed a lot of the stuff that didn't work for me. I thought that because it kind of stuck the landing and and got across the main point of of the main character, I did kind of come away from it thinking, okay, I liked that. I agree. Okay, so next up we have Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which came out in 2020 and was directed by George Sewell. Tensions and temperatures rise at a Chicago music studio in 1927 when fiery, fearless blues singer Ma Rainey joins her band for a recording session. They don't care nothing about me. All they want is my voice. Well, I done learned that. And they're going to treat me the way I want to be treated, no matter how much it hurt them. They're back there right now calling me all kinds of names, calling me everything but a child of God. But they can't do nothing else because they ain't got what they wanted yet. So we spoke about this at length when we did Chadwick Boseman's Outside the Actor Studio. So if you haven't listened to that and you want to go back. So we really had talked mostly about his performance and, and we were able to do that because very similar defenses being it was adapted from a play. Each scene, one of them was commanding the scene if he was in the basement with the other musicians then it was him and when they were upstairs it was fucking viola davis because (laughs) let me tell you i wasn't really focused on anybody else at all when she was on the screen she was telling everybody what to do she was in command and it was deeply thrilling to watch her do that what's the matter ma where's my coke i need a cold cold cola uh ma look i forgot the coke Let's do it without it, huh? Just this one song. What say, boys? Damn what the band say. You're supposed to have my Coca-Cola. You knew that. I knew nothing without my Coca-Cola. Shit. Just a minute here, Ma. You come in an hour later. You need to Wait get out of my face, Irvin. I told you to keep them away from well, me. I'm tired of the nonsense. I'm not going to put up with this. Let me. Ma, listen. I'll call down to the deli and I'll get you a Coke, but let's get started, huh? Sylvester's standing there ready to go. The band's all set up. Let's do this one song. Huh? Too cheap to buy me a Coca-Cola. Slow drag, Sylvester. Come on, baby. Get me three bottles of Coca-Cola, ice cold. Get y'all something, too. Keep the change. Yes, ma'am. Urban, get away from me. You can wait till I get my Coca-Cola. Ain't gonna kill you. Okay, ma. The opening of this article from The Guardian says, declarative and theatrical it might be, but it's also ferociously intelligent and violently focused. An opera of passion and pain. Wish I'd read this article when we did Chadwick. The film has a genuine coup in its final scene, showing how Levy's talent is to be exploited and the way Black culture itself is destined to be appropriated. Bozeman's face is so open, so transparent, so needy. It's an instrument for every painful emotion. It's such a generous performance the portrayal of a man sacrificed on the altar of his own past oh my god me who wrote this fucking shakespeare (laughs) who who wrote that peter bradshaw man oh my god he should take a swing at the rotten tomatoes descriptions (laughs) (laughs) viola was commanding and absolutely unbelievably incredible and for all that to be true and for me still to only be able to think about chadwick is saying yeah. So, so much. She was nominated for Best Actress for it, but lost to Frances McDormand for Nomadland. Oh, this is very cool and true. Ma Rainey wants her Coca-Cola or she's not going to sing. This is what some would deem diva behavior. Such demands would seem out of line, unreasonable, or 
to use the loaded pistol of a word so often wielded to describe tough black women, difficult. But it's not really about the Coca-Cola or being a diva. It's about reclaiming power. Yeah. As Ma tells her trombonist, those white music producers want to make money off her, but are too cheap to buy her soda. All they want is my voice. I feel like we're not even really equipped to talk about her performance. Like it's so beyond what we have the tools for. That mm-hmm. um, I maybe just want to say, if you haven't seen it, watch it. Yeah, because really what it is about is, like you just said, not something we're like completely equipped to talk it's a black woman who's finally demanding what was just handed to white women or white men that were in her same position even her commitment to wanting the boy to do the intro even though he had a severe stutter and she knew that it would cost them money and cost them time she was not gonna do it unless he was doing the intro and that power that she demonstrated in that moment where she was refusing to do what they wanted her to do their way because she was going to do it her way is an extremely powerful message for the whole movie to have. And also excruciating in a way because the only reason at that time that she was even able to demand those things that she absolutely deserved and more was her talent. If she hadn't been that talented, she wouldn't have even had the ground to stand on to demand those things. Black bottom stomps and the new baby president the other night at a swell affair. Soon as the boys found out that I was there, they said, come on, mom, let's go to the cavalry. So next up, The Unforgivable, released in 2021 and directed by Nora Fingshite. It's really hard to say. <laughs> Released from prison after serving a 20-year sentence for a violent crime, Ruth Slater, Sandra Bullock, re-enters a society that refuses to forgive her past. Facing severe judgment from the place she once called home, her only hope for redemption is finding the estranged younger sister she was forced to leave behind. Get the fuck off my property. Get in the house now. you got a lot of nerve coming here. Where's John? I need to talk to him right away. How dare you come here? I'll leave. Just tell me where he is. This is not our problem. All right? You're not his client anymore. I have a chance to see my sister, and I just need to know, can I go by myself? Do I have to take him with me? I don't give a me? shit about your sister. She was taken away from you because of your choices. You have to live with that. Look, please don't talk to me about choices right now, okay? Listen, don't no one t- forced you to kill that man or lie your way into my okay, house. You know Viola plays the wife of the lawyer who attempts to help Sandra Bullock's character. Mm -hmm. What did you think? I liked it. I thought it was a good Netflix movie. I, again, didn't see the twist coming at all. I really couldn't figure out what it was going to... I knew there had to be some kind of missing element to what happened on that day that made it what it was. But I totally did not imagine that it was the sister that actually killed the cop. Do you assume that the sister never found out? Obviously, for those who haven't seen it, she was five when she did it. Yeah. And has no memory of it. Do you think she never found out? I think she never found out. Because I can't can't imagine that Ruth even told anybody besides Liz, Viola's character, but that was the truth. I was a little disappointed while watching it because... It felt like yet another film where Viola is playing someone's wife and gets like five lines 
and her talent is wasted. But the one scene in the last third of the film where her and Ruth are standing on the driveway was so intense and (laughs) so good that it almost made up for the fact that she didn't have enough lines in the rest of the movie. And actually, that scene was the one that I saw on TikTok out of context and made and texted you that I saw a scene and it looked really good. So needless to say, the rest of it was (laughs) quite a letdown. I went to prison for half of my life, so I think I've more than paid for it. You were sent to prison. You have to take responsibility for that. Oh, my God. I said I did it. Can you just tell me where John is? John would tell you exactly what I'm telling you right now, okay? You lost your opportunity. Lost it. John looks at you and he sees someone who deserves a second chance. I don't see that. I hear someone who will say anything to get what she wants. You will do exactly the same oh, thing for no, your kids. Oh, no, don't go exactly. there. Don't I even pretend pre- this is about her. Exactly, I was protecting her. You are not a victim. I said All right? I That's did bullshit. It. I had to make Face a choice. It. You traumatized her. Do not I even fucking pretend said I did this it. is about her. She was only five years old. All right, so next up would be The Woman King, but it's only just come out in the theater and Catherine and I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Hopefully we'll have another opportunity to talk about it during Oscar season if it's nominated for something. All right, so up next, we have superlatives. The first is best wardrobe. It's super hard to choose between how to get away with murder and widows. And and then I also really liked her outfits in Troop Zero. Part of me does want to choose how to get away with murder, mainly because she's so cool. (laughs) And also so sexy. I feel like so many of her roles, she doesn't get to be sexy. I'm going to choose Widows for the same reason. But I think maybe I do want to choose Troop Zero. I'm picturing her when she's sitting with Christmas on the swing set and she just looks so 70s and cool. Yes. So I think that's my choice. And I also love when they're in the bathroom and she's putting on her mascara. She's wearing like this. That is such a cute scene. Favorite character. Rose from fences i think she's just there's so much to her she's so complex but strong in the end i think i'm gonna have to agree best performance i we can't even do this category it's too hard because <laughs> literally every single one i want to nominate right knights of rodanth which we didn't even talk about <laughs> <laughs> i almost want to give it to suicide squad because it's <laughs> <laughs> just because surviving she, that yeah she was she was fighting her way through that okay she was given very little to work with and and made it work to the best of her ability and that says a lot i think it's got to be either fences or ma rainey that's what i was between worst performance in quotations it has to be suicide squad yes even though she there's no worst about it but the everything around her was so horrendously bad (laughs) honestly honestly that should be her best performance That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It is kind of what you just said. Yeah. (laughs) Because only someone can only do so much with the dialogue that was written for that, that honestly, she should have won an Academy Award. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you bring that up because our next category is how many Oscars should she actually have? She should have had one for doubt. A hundred percent for doubt. If her scene in Antoine Fisher was longer, I would have said that too. Same. But it was so, so short. The help, definitely. Yes. Prisoners, her role wasn't big enough, although no. 
damn. Same with Get On Up. It wasn't enough. Yeah. Like, if, there was, enough. if there was more of her, certainly. Fences, she did win. So we, we got that one. Right. Ma Rainey, for sure. For sure, for sure. So how many is that? Four. She should have minimum four Oscars. Okay. Academy, listen up. You're behind. Least favorite movie. I don't even know why we're bothering. Like, it's Suicide Squad. <laughs> The 26% on Rotten Tomatoes (laughs) speaks for itself, okay? (laughs) And then finally, we have favorite movie. Yeah, and this is not to mean best movie. This is just our personal favorites. A lot of our silence is going to get cut out because you guys don't want to sit here and listen to dead air, but this is taking us so long to think about. (laughs) It's such a hard (laughs) choice. I'm like between four of them. This is crazy because of the subject matter, but I think I have to say doubt. I was gonna say doubt! Also, if we had a superlative for biggest shocker as far as like enjoying a movie that I didn't think I was going to enjoy, certainly that goes to doubt. It's a near perfect film. Yeah. Well, there we go. All right, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please share parts one and two with someone you think might like them, too. And leave us a five-star review on iTunes and on Spotify. Till next time. Bye.